Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. For episode number 64, we managed to get Dr. Richard Johnson, professor of nephrology at the University of Colorado, to come back to tell us more about his diet for avoiding the fat switch triggered by fructose and salt. Dr. Johnson's diet is essentially designed to build mitochondrial health for better energy production and for the long-term health of our bodies and possibly our brains as well. I promise you this is an interesting conversation. Please listen in to learn a thing or two about how you can improve your energy level, body composition, and overall health with a few simple changes to your lifestyle. For myself, I have already eliminated added sugar and processed sodium-rich foods from my diet. And after talking to Dr. Johnson, I am careful to drink at least two liters of water or tea every day. All right, let's talk to Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson, welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's, and Glenn, it's great to be on your show again. <laughs> oh, that's really great. I'm, I appreciate you taking a little more time for us. We kind of ran out. We didn't get your the whole thing. And, and where we really cut out in our last conversation was in getting the full richness of this switch diet that uh, you have developed. But of course, I, I know that you have your expertise goes pretty deep. And so anything that you think would be useful to this audience of older athletes, we definitely want to hear from you on that. But for sure, we want to understand the switch diet and what we can do lifestyle-wise to avoid these problems that uh, fructose and, and salt and umami, you were saying, can yeah. cause. And then to the extent that because we're older now, we, we've encountered these things. We've yes. made these mistakes over the years. What can we do to unwind some okay. of that? Excellent. Let's begin, uh, and I'll try to include some pearls as we go. Uh, Excellent. So the very first thing, of course, is, uh, you know, the main thing that triggers this biologic switch that makes you want to hold on to a fat and become insulin resistant and all these things that can be associated with not just metabolic syndrome, but with aging. Yeah. You know, uh, so some of the one of the very first things is to realize that the there's a number of things that can trigger um, this switch. And the number one is sugar, of mm. course, and everyone yeah. knows sugar is bad. But what we've learned is that liquid sugar is worse than solid sugar. So the very first thing to realize is that sugary beverages are particularly bad. Yeah. And they're bad because you get a large amount of sugar in a power drink or a soft drink. You, there's a lot of sugar, a lot of fructose that's in the drink, uh, and you tend to drink it fast. And it's the concentration of sugar that counts. And the concentration that hits your liver where the switch occurs is dependent on how fast you drink it and how concentrated it is. So, for example, if you drink a soft drink on an empty stomach, so there, there's no food there to slow the absorption, you're going to get a very quick uh, activation of the switch. It will cause more obesity, more fat production than if you had a soft drink in the middle of a meal where there's a lot of fiber and other things that slow it. Okay. And likewise, if you took a soft drink, and you drank it really, really slowly over a period of an hour or two, the concentration that the liver sees will be less than if you drink it in one bolus. 
So the, yeah. the first thing is that liquid sugar is really dangerous because we tend to drink it fast. Fruit juice, things like that, they're, they're, the, they're the worst because we tend to drink it fast. And if you did want to absolutely wanted to drink something, you have to try to drink it slow and try to dilute it down. But basically, sugary beverages should be off, off the list. You should not ever uh, try to drink a soft drink or something like that. Now, sports drinks that have a small amount of sugar, like 4% or less, um, when you're out exercising, you actually do need a little bit of, of glucose in it and uh, to help you so you don't become hypoglycemic. So having some sports drinks are, are different. If you're, if you're actively exercising on the tennis court, you do need a sports drink. It's best if the sugar content's like 4%, 5% glucose, 4% is like probably the highest that I would go. And, and a small amount of fructose has been shown to assist and increase the absorption of glucose. So a little bit of fructose in soft drinks is, I mean, in sports drinks uh, is good, particularly if you're doing athletics. But if you're okay. on a sofa, you shouldn't be drinking uh, sports drinks as, a, you know, it's really meant to help you when you're really actively exercising. Okay. Very good tip. So, so liquid sugar, you know, that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, uh, you know, obviously cakes and pastries and anything that has a lot of sugar in it, you should be looking at labels, processed foods that have a lot of fructose in it, high fructose corn syrup, you know, try to stay away from that. Um, and they add that in to everything, it seems. So, I mean, you just be careful. Yeah, like two thirds of processed foods has high fructose corn syrup or sugar added. So, yeah, even and, bread. And, I mean, who would have <laughs> thought bread that would have sugar in it? Yeah, well... Yes, yes, uh, not, yes. And one of the problems with bread, we'll get to bread, it carries other problems, even if it doesn't have sugar in it. But let's, yeah. uh, you know, the very first thing is, you know, watch how much sugar and high fructose corn syrup you eat, read labels, worry about processed foods, um, you know, uh, you know, at least read the labels, be careful. Uh, but things like natural fruit that have like, uh, you know, a lot of fruits have very little sugar in them. Fructose like limes and lemons have almost none. Kiwi has very little. Berries like blueberries and strawberries don't have a lot of fructose in them. Mm. They're really quite safe. And um, one of the nice things about the, these kind of low fructose fruits is um, they a lot of them carry a lot of things that are good, like polyphenols and, and, and uh, things that can actually counter the effects of fructose. So okay. berries and stuff uh, are good. Uh, you know, I mean, if you ate a bowl of grapes, you're going to get into trouble. And okay. certain fruits like grapes, pears, and plums have more sh uh, fructose. So you have to be a little bit careful. But what's great is the intestine inactivates about four to five grams of fructose. So most natural fruits the fructose will get inactivated uh, in the gut and it won't get to the liver. And so uh, one or two natural fruits in a, in a meal is healthy. And, and we actually did, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned earlier in the other program that, you know, if you, uh, we did a study with low fructose diet with, with fruit supplements and when you give fruit supplements, you do fine, but fruit juice, which is uh, constant, 
you know, has a lot of fruit in one drink, that's yeah. again, bad. Yeah. So the, you know, the first rule is what, you know, to understand that there's fructose in the diet, it's mainly in sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Natural fruits have some, but uh, you know, you, you, you it's fine to eat natural fruits, especially if you only eat one or two at a meal and, um, and fruit juice is like a soft drink. Okay, Great. so that's Great. the first thing. And the second thing is uh, high glycemic carbs uh, can also be generated, turned into fructose in the body. And recently there was, you know, I mean, you, you, there's even a recent study that says that the body can make about the equivalent of one can of, of soft drinks a day of, oh. of making fructose. The body can make a fructose like, a, like, like you get in a soft drink. Uh, and you it, had it, said that this comes from uh, over time, your body gets used to um, the sugar and it starts to, it gets better at making fructose. And so is this yes. making a can of day something that like a, an, an older person who's been eating sugar their whole life is no, doing? Probably, is... They could be making more. Oh. Yeah, they could be making more. But uh, there was uh, one study that showed that it's, it's quite possible to, for the for humans to make the equivalent of of to produce enough fructose that's the same as in a is in a twelve ounce or a ten ounce soft drink. So okay. that's that's pretty scary. Now, yeah. Um, so when it comes to uh, high glycemic carbs, they can be converted to fructose in the body, and that's mainly things like French fries and potatoes and rice and cereal. And what we call these, you know, high glycemic foods, um, chips, uh, you know, things that we, we bread, things that we tend to like. So these starchy uh, things that yes, break down into foods. glucose, but your body then turns the glucose into fructose. Yes. So that okay. is another, that is a problem. And um, again, um, you know, the, the way that if you, there are tricks, like, for example, if you put, uh, avocado on a slice of bread, you have a very good chance of reducing that peak in glucose because the avocado slows the absorption and kind of counters, it makes it slower so that the glucose level doesn't go up. So there are tricks where you can actually eat some high glycemic carbs um, and not get that rise in glucose. Um, and so okay. uh, if you have a continuous glucose monitor, you can try to figure out what foods raise your glucose and what ones don't. And that's one of the arguments for getting something like that. But in general, you're saying that combining the carbs with fats will slow down the absorption the and that'll lower right. the spiking. Right. right. Okay. Now, uh, another trick is, um, you know, when you go on a low carb diet like Glenn likes or a keto diet, that's right. Uh, you're going to avoid your, those fructose and sugars, and you're going to avoid the high glycemic carbs. And so you're going to eliminate the two major food groups that are driving obesity. And the low-carb diet's really efficient that way. Um, and, and so that's a beautiful kind of diet to help avoid it. But a lot of people have trouble being on a low-carb diet chronically. It's hard in, the, in this society to do that because carbs are everywhere. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, so if you can do it, uh, you know, 
the more power to you. If you have kidney disease, it's not necessarily great because a low-carb diet's often high in protein, and a high-protein diet's not great if you've got kidney trouble. But anyway, but to, a low-carb diet is, yeah, but a low-carb diet's a pretty great way to go. And one of the other aspects of our work is that um, salt intake seems to be very common in people who high salt intake in people who are overweight. And data shows that people who are overweight tend to be eating a lot more salt than others. And we've found that salt actually helped produce fructose in the body too. So salty foods uh, can activate things. Salted uh, popcorn will lead to weight gain. I used to think that was just from water weight, but now I know that what's happening is the salt's triggering uh, fructose production and that immediate weight is probably from increased glycogen deposition. And, um, oh, no. and so, you know, popcorn, which is low calorie, if it's really, really salty, it's not great. Um, but on the other hand, what we learned is the power of water. And if you drink enough water that you don't get, you know, you can neutralize the effects of salt by drinking uh, water. So, you know, what we did a study, as I may have mentioned, where we gave salty soup with or without water. And yeah. if we gave enough water and blocked the rise in salt concentration in the blood, then we didn't activate the switch. So the, the, the best part is, you know, try to avoid eating salty foods uh, because you can, it will trigger the production of fructose, especially if you're taking carbs. So the salt works by helping convert the carbs to, to fructose. So if you're actually on a low-carb diet, a salty foods may not be as a much of a problem because the way the salt works is it converts the glucose to fructose. And if you're on a low-carb diet, you're not getting a lot of glucose. So you're, you're protected a little bit from that. But salty foods in general, you know, are going to activate this switch just like sugary foods. So um, try not to eat a lot of salty foods. If you are gonna eat salty foods, drink a lot of water. And a smart thing is to drink water first because if you actually kind of dilute the salt down in your blood a little bit, then you're less likely to, to raise it, you know. So if you drink water and then eat the salted pretzel, you're probably uh, gonna be a little bit safer than if you ate the salted pretzel, got thirsty, triggered the switch, and then drank the water. Sure. Is it related also to if you're exercising and you want to avoid getting dehydrated? Is that sort of like similar to eating salt? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we exercise is such a wonderful sport, but dehydration's not. Uh, you, if you get dehydrated when you're when you're doing exercise, that's obviously not great. Yeah. Uh, exercise is kind of a tricky thing because. Um, there's a rare syndrome in people who like running marathons where they can overdrink water oh. uh, and they can retain water and they can dilute their salt concentration of blood and it can cause seizures. Oh. Um, and there's been a rare death from it. And so uh, it's seen mainly in marathon runners. Uh, but that's a place where you really, where they, where the teaching is to drink to thirst. So if you get thirst, then drink until the thirst goes away when you're uh, in serious exercise. And since you, okay. you guys are the wise athletes, uh, I would say, you know, if you're exercising a lot, 
you know, be careful about hydration. You don't want to overhydrate with water and just drink to thirst. But if you are not exercising and you're, you know, about to sit down Thanksgiving dinner, you know, uh, drink, drink a fair amount of water, okay, and try to avoid the, a lot of the salty gravies and things like that that, um, that might, might stimulate thirst. If you get thirsty, know that you're sort of activating that switch. Oh, okay. Okay. But you know, when you're running a marathon, I, I would be I would be nervous to tell you to drink a lot of water because there, you know there's some people who develop this hyponatremia syndrome. I think I understand how it happens, and I'm going to try to study it and see if we can figure out how to block it. But for now, um, but just do the standard thing, which is you know drink to thirst when you're when you're uh, uh, doing a marathon or a, a lot of a long aerobic exercise okay drink to thirst all right so then uh so but basically uh for normal days you know try to drink six to eight glasses of water a day you know the the people who are running around the water bottle and they look skinny there's a reason for that the water actually (laughs) helps them okay this is my wife and it's the wise and and you've got people you got a lot of people who don't who just tend not to drink a lot of water and, um, and, and so there's a group that loves to drink water and there's a group that just tends not to drink a lot of water. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm actually in that group. And so you have to kind of like force yourself to drink water. And my recommendation is to drink a glass. Yeah, like, like you, Glenn, man, drink before each meal. When you, when you sit down, if you're not a, a water drinker, just begin by putting that glass of water right in front of you. And force yourself to drink that glass of water before you take a bite to eat. And then in the middle of the afternoon, when you're feeling a little maybe hungry, you're going for a walk, go to the water bubbler or, I mean, to the water, you know, go get, go to the water fountain and just drink some water. Uh, By the way, the, the word water bubbler is a phrase for a drinking fountain, but it's only from people who live in Wisconsin. (laughs) <laughs> so I just revealed that I'm from Wisconsin. Anyway, apparently you but, did. Yeah, apparently. But anyway, but go to a drinking fountain, drink some water uh, in the middle of the afternoon or have a water bottle, drink another, you know, try to drink a glass of water in the middle of the afternoon, a glass of water in the middle of the morning, a glass of water after dinner. But, you know, two hours before you go to bed, quit drinking water so that you don't get up at two in the morning, you know. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) but stay well hydrated, reduce salt. Now, the next thing is there's another type of food that can activate the switch. And uh, I don't think we talked about it. I do talk about it in the book. We we had a paper in journal Nature Metabolism, a top journal on this. But basically, uh, we have five tastes. We have sweet, salt, sour, and bitter. These are the four that we everyone knows about. Yeah. And sweet is there to help us find sugary foods because our body, nature wants us to be able to, to increase our fat stores. So the sweet taste helps us find that. And salt turns out to be the same. You eat salt, you activate the switch so that, you know, the, the body wants you to be able to find foods that can help store fat. And sour and bitter, they're there to kind of make you avoid eating those foods because they might contain toxins. Yeah. But there's a fifth taste, and that fifth taste is called savory, 
uh, and it's uh, the Japanese name, which is often used, is called umami. And uh, it's the flavor like you get with gravies. It's the flavor of, you know, curing meat. You get this kind of special, uh, rich flavor. Uh, it's, uh, it's in blue cheese and gorgonzola cheeses. It's in Caesar salads. Uh, it's, in, uh, it's in rich foods like shrimp and lobster. Uh, and and uh, it's also in beer. Uh, it's not so much from the alcohol. It's the yeast extract kind of gives that flavor that people like. And, the, you know, and so, the, you know, we end up eating umami foods. A lot of people love umami foods in the literature. They say, you know, this is great because it really is a great food that provides wonderful taste, but it's not bad like sugar or salt. But if you eat a lot of umami, you actually will become, it will activate the switch. We put umami, like the, the, the actual flavor is glutamate, and some people make, uh, make a derivative of it called monosodium glutamate or MSG, and they'll add it to foods, and, and, um, and it's present in a lot of these foods, as is some nucleotides that, uh, our breakdown products of DNA, and they also activate the umami flavor. So they're kind of like, you know, we know sugar and salt, but umami, no, people say, well, what causes umami? It's glutamate. Yeah, okay. But anyway, uh, these, these things are in those foods. If you put it in drinking water, animals drink it, they love it, and they'll become fat. And in fact, uh, they get, all these get turned into uric acid. And if you put uric acid into the drinking water, along with a little bit of glutamate, that will really enhance uh, an animal to become fat as well. So it's working through this uric acid pathway. And the good news is we eat very little uh, umami. So like, a, you know, we'll, we'll eat 75 grams of sugar a day, but we'll eat four grams of umami a day. So the, the impact of umami isn't so great. Uh, if you're a heavy beer drinker and you're wondering why you're getting a beer gut and the fatty liver and your blood pressure is high and they're telling you to cut down your beer, that's because of the umami in the beer. It, it, oh. A little bit is from the alcohol, but a lot of it is from that umami. Uh, and that's why there's a beer belly, right? So, but, uh, so beer is, is something that really can activate the switch. And I know that a lot of people love beer. So it's uh, disappointing, I'm sure, uh, but it, it can activate this switch. And so you should probably watch how much beer you're drinking and be aware of it and know the pros and cons of drinking beer. And, yeah. uh, and if you can avoid beer, it's sort of like avoiding a soft drink. It'll, it'll be good for you. Okay. Um, the, and then the, the other big umami foods are like uh, shrimp, you know, eat a ton of shrimp. Uh, and you want to know if you're, could you get fat from that? And the answer is yes, you can. <laughs> um, and uh, so, but, but in general, it's hard to get, uh, you know, it's hard to get fat from umami foods. Uh, you have to eat a fair amount of them. Uh, but, it, you know, it's possible. And in, in uh, China, where there's uh, uh, umami is in a lot of foods, there's, there's strong relationships between those who eat a lot of umami and and uh, and the risk for developing obesity, okay. but but in our our country, you know, it's mainly beer and soft drinks. Yeah, and and pr uh, processed meats, processed oh. red meats. So, 
Um, it's a big difference between unprocessed meat and processed meat because when you some of the glutamate and things like that get, can get released when you're processing meats. So, the, so we're talking like hot dogs and hot dogs like and bacon and things like that. Bacon, oh, <laughs> it tastes good, doesn't it? It sure does. Oh wow! Hey, you know, uh, it's part of it is the dose is the poison. But if you're trying, to, if you really want to, um, you know, to lose weight. Uh, you know, read my book because there's there's good meats and there's bad meats. There's good carbs. There's bad carbs. And when it comes to fat, um, omega threes are are great fatty acids that um, you know, uh, like you get in salmon and walnuts and uh, flaxseed. You Can know, you get it in uh, like grass fed beef or or things like that. Yeah, actually, a grain fed beef. Uh, beef has a lot of omega-6, which tends to be inflammatory. Okay. Uh, and grass-fed beef uh, tends to be rich in omega-3, which is healthy and anti-inflammatory. And if you do a study and you give omega-3 with, with fructose, the omega-3 will actually counter some of the effects of fructose. It's like, a, it's oh. like an antidote. So, is so it they're, they're, where they're, if you're so yeah so these, these antidotes Joe? Well, I like that because I, I sin regularly, and if I can have anti sins to offset, that's really helpful. But is the is the omega threes have to be eaten at the same time, or is it just like having a high amount in your diet? I think oh, it's oh. just having a high amount in the diet. It's, okay. It seems to be protective. Uh, it, you don't have to take it at the same time. Okay, um, and so. Um, Omega-3 is really good, okay? I mean, I can't tell you. It's, you know, it, it, experimentally, it's really good. Omega-6 is not so good. And so uh, water, we talked about the power of water. A vitamin C is another thing. And low dose, it helps protect. At high dose, it has kind of a mixed effect. So oh, no. let me tell you that. So a, a low dose vitamin C, like 500 milligrams a day, it, it helps protect and blocks the effects of sugar. And uh, I recommend it for everybody. But, but it, if I'm going to take a step back to just talk about this big thing. So the, 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 uh, there's the switch that makes you start to gain weight and gain fat. And that's yeah. the switch triggered by sugar and salt. And then that helps you store fat. And animals use that as a means to protect themselves. So, um, and, and so it's meant to be a temporary thing. So you yeah. gain fat, you survive the winter, and then you go back to being normal. But the problem we're doing is we're continuing to eat this food all the time. So the way that it works, the way this switch works is there's this stress put on the energy factories you know, the mitochondria and our muscles and our brain and everything have these mitochondria and they're making energy or ATP. And when you eat this food, it suppresses those energy factories to make less ATP. And instead, the energy is stored as fat. So energy can yeah. become immediate energy like ATP or it can be stored. And this kind of suppresses the production of ATP and instead takes those calories and pushes them into fat, stored energy. 
So it's the whole idea is that this switch is to help you store your energy instead of to use your energy. All right. So the problem is the way that works is that those energy factories undergo oxidative stress, which is sort of like what a sunburn does to your skin. Um, And so uh, every time that you eat the switch, there's this like zap of this stress that goes on in your mitochondria. So you can imagine what happens when that happens over time. So um, if you're constantly doing this for years and years, those mitochondria start to get damaged. And although they have a very effective repair system, it doesn't always work that well. And in the long term, what happens is there's a loss of, of these mitochondria. And then you have less energy being produced chronically, even if the switch isn't turned on. Okay, so you can turn off the switch, but if you only have half the energy factories you used to, you're not going to be producing enough energy. You're going to still be tired and you're going to be locked into that higher weight. So the, the trick is, and as we get older, and this is good for all of your audience, and it's good for me as I get older too. And yeah. what we want to do is we want to keep the healthiest mitochondria we can. And if we can rejuvenate them, we're gonna, we can actually sort of get a younger type of, we're going to feel younger. And so we're sort of going to be younger. So what we want to do is to rejuvenate, to bring back those mitochondria. And there's a name for it. It's called mitochondrial biogenesis, which means we're going to turn on those mitochondria to produce, to increase their number and function. And the okay. best way to do that is with exercise. And, uh, and, and it's this uh, kind of state, you know, what we go call stage two exercise or class two exercise where you just raise your, it's kind of aerobic exercise. You raise your heart rate to the point where you're not accumulating lactic acid. You don't want to accumulate lactate. And, um, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very, uh, gentle exercise, but what it does is it stimulates mitochondrial growth. Uh, and it requires the tiniest amount of oxidative stress, Ironically, it requires a tiny bit of, of oxidative stress to stimulate the proliferate, the uh, growth. So even though high doses are killing the mitochondria, to actually get it to, to proliferate or to generate more, you have to induce very, very low-grade oxidative stress, uh, which you can do during exercise. So it's this very mild, yeah, mild yeah. oxidative stress. So like the level of exercise where you can be talking to your pal or maybe yes. breathing only through your nose, yes. something like that. That's the exact level of exercise you want. And and so, so you need a tiny bit of oxidative stress to the mitochondria in order for them to grow. So the trouble with high doses of vitamin C is there some studies that show that if you take like a thousand milligrams or higher and then you go exercise, because it's an antioxidant, it blocks that little bit of oxidative stress that you uh, need to grow the mitochondria back. And so what happens is you don't want to be on high doses of vitamin C. They may block the switch, but what you we want to do is we want to do two things. We want to block that switch but we want to stimulate the growth of the mitochondria. And so right. it's ironic. It's, it's, you know, it's crazy, but low doses of vitamin C seem to be good at blocking the switch, 
but high doses of vitamin C okay. can block the regrowth of the mitochondria. So maybe so, the vitamin C you would get in a good diet, but not by taking lots of supplements. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was uh, talking to a guy who's kind of an expert on this, uh, you know, on nutraceuticals the other night. And, okay. and he said, well, you know, what he recommended is, you know, you take vitamin C on days you're not exercising and um, ah. or you take it like when you're going to sit down at Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, and and but if you're going to go exercise in the morning, you don't take the vitamin C in the morning before you go exercise. You know, so he actually times the vitamin C with when it, when he when he is or is not uh, exercising, which is sort of an cool. interesting uh, yeah. approach. Well, that's I a thought. That. And there's other supplements. Maybe you could tell us, like like uh, vitamin E, and maybe others that uh, like yeah. would have a similar effect. Yeah, vitamin E doesn't. Uh, I don't think vitamin okay. E. And the problem is, is it doesn't really get into the mitochondria very well. At least I don't. Oh, okay. At least uh, from my understanding, I I haven't personally studied that, but um, I believe from the literature of uh, that uh, vitamin E does not uh, have the same okay. benefit. So some so antioxidants can behave differently right. in this regard. Yeah, things like uh, glutathione uh, is an antioxidant that could, um, you know, uh, lipoxin, alpha lipoxin, alpha lipoxin might be able to do that. Um, but one that has been shown to be beneficial is the uh, flavanol that's in dark chocolate and also the one in green tea. So uh, both green tea and dark chocolate contain a substance that does stimulate mitochondrial growth. And um, in dark chocolate, um, the substance is called epicatechin. And we've even done clinical studies with it. It it really is a good good substance. And um, and like if you get the 70 or 80% dark chocolate, you just need to take like, you know, one part of the bar, you know, like one row of the chocolate and, you know, you don't need to eat a lot. Um, and, and that's all you need to take once a day. And, um, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, they've done, um, some of my friends have done studies where they've given it to patients with heart failure and uh, they, they actually uh, could show that they could improve the mitochondria and that it translated into for these people to be able to walk instead of like 200 yards or I mean 200 feet, they could suddenly walk several blocks. So um, you know, I do think it's uh, it's pretty cool. There's been clinical trials to see if it can help people with muscular dystrophy, for example. Okay. And so um, you know, so I I think that uh, dark chocolate is great. Green tea, vitamin C exercise and then you know you can i mean if you cut out sugar you can show some improvement in the mitochondria just from that we did a study in people and and low salt low sugar diet one month well uh, you can show improvement in the mitochondria in your white blood cells and your circulation you know from a blood test so I, i you know uh there's there's so many tricks that you can do to try to stay healthy and you know, there's good there's good proteins, bad proteins, good carbs, bad carbs, and there's a lot of things you can do that that uh, you know don't involve uh, calories like uh, like supplements and stuff that can be beneficial. Fantastic. Yeah. 
Well, that, that is a tremendous help. I assume that you follow this advice yourself. I do. I, you know, I mean, I, I do. I, I try, uh, you know, I try to avoid sugar uh, whenever I can, uh, you know, and I, you know, there's sometimes I'll be in a situation where, you know, it's my, my child's birthday party and I will, <laughs> uh, my son's birthday party and I'll eat a piece of cake then. And, uh, but, you know, I, I don't think we should be so severe that um, you never, you know, indulge in sugar or things like that. I think that would be wrong. But I do try to follow the principles of my diet. And um, the biggest problem I have is I'm a workaholic and yeah. um, and I, I, I work long hours. And so it's hard for me to get all the exercise in that I, I want to do, uh, although I'm, I'm working at it trying to set, you know, free up time where I can, uh, where I can spend more time to exercise. That's been my, my biggest challenge. Sure. For a lot of people, yeah. uh, myself included, I know that that's super tough. Well, I wonder if, um, and, and I don't want to cut you off in giving advice to the older athlete, uh, our audience here, but you know, one, one of the things that is common among older athletes is having children who they give advice to. And so if you could go back, if you could wind back time and undo the mistakes that you did for yourself, uh, what advice would you give to yourself as a younger person? Um, I think that, you know, when, when you're really young, you tend to think you're invincible. Uh -huh. uh, when I was like 20 years old, I felt I could eat anything uh, with impunity. You know, I could... Uh, there was nothing that I, you know, uh, that I would worry about. If it was a soft drink, I didn't care. Uh, and, you know, I kept thinking that, you know, uh, my metabolism is good. Uh, the problem of, you know, soft drinks is for the person across the table from me. It's not for me. Um, yeah. And so, and, and the one other thing is I was quite active back then. And, I, you know, I, I was never a great athlete, but I I, I love sports, and yeah. so I played a lot of tennis and did, you know. But um, what, what I think is a really smart move is to actually know your nutrition early on and, and to start following the rules even when you're not in trouble. Um, and so I think that if I had uh, started, you know, been wise about not drinking soft drinks and uh, you know, eating huge amounts of sugar uh, when I was younger, um, you know, it would have been easier for me and my, my mitochondria would likely be healthier now than they were. So I, I, I think that um, people should realize that um, metabolism catches up with everyone and you can be a super athlete, but if you, if you uh, are eating the wrong foods, um, there's going to be a time when, when it's going to start showing on you. Uh, how about you? What, what's your feeling, Joe? I mean, you, 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 you've also been through this. So what, what would you say? Yeah, for me, I think, uh, I, well, I, of course, I would echo everything you've said. Um, I, I'm not sure that I, you know, I probably drank too much alcohol. I mean, <laughs> I mean, sure, um, I, I, I did that. I'm not sure I had a really terrible diet, although I, I was pretty ignorant. I didn't really know. I mean, other than my 
turns out my mother's advice was pretty good all along. And so I, you know, I kind of knew what was right. And, and I, you know, and I try, I always had a sense of vegetables were good. You know, I felt good about myself if I ate my vegetables, you know, because of my mother's teachings. Like, well, but I'll tell you the one mistake that I made consistently was not getting enough sleep. And, uh, I, you know, yeah. I can, I can even remember once where, cause, and I, I like lived on five and a half hours sleep for, you know, many, many, many years. And I remember one time I decided I was going to try to get a little more sleep. And so I was getting like seven hours for like a week and I didn't feel any more rested after seven days of, you know, instead of shorting myself three hours, I was only shorting myself an hour and I felt no better. And I said, ah, it's a waste of time. <laughs> and so I went back to my normal schedule and it's just so stupid. It's just hard to believe. When I was an intern, I was, uh, they called me the black cloud because I, I had so many patients. And there was one week where I clocked 140 out of 168 hours in a week uh, wow. in, in the hospital. Now, I, wow. so a lot of that was, you know, I, I was on call, so I would go to sleep in the hospital, but I, I didn't get a lot of sleep. And, and in fact, as an intern, I had the unfortunate thing of falling asleep at the wheel one oh. time and actually hitting a telephone pole. Uh, I'm so lucky I didn't, you know, die or kill someone. Um, yeah. And and today, thank God, this this practice has been you know uh, the call schedules are so much better now. But uh, you know, uh, back in 1982, uh, you know, you were tough. That you know, the more the longer you were in the hospital, is thought that the tougher you are. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And so I I, I uh, I'm still a workaholic, but I I, I just get much better sleep now <laughs> than. Than I did way back then, but yeah, uh, I could. I appreciate that. I mean, I tell you, I, I can still remember on my performance evaluations from work in the, in the old days. They would put. I would get. There was actually a category called endurance, yeah. and I would get top marks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> anyway, getting good sleep from the start. Well, well, that would be so great. I, you know, I went to, I went to a the University of Wisconsin, and you know we. We would party a lot at night, and uh, you know it, it's true. Getting good sleep is such a important thing, and we didn't appreciate it when we were young. Sure. Um, yeah. And I understand uh, from personal experience. I'll just say that um, when I don't get good sleep, I crave sugar. Oh yeah. Actually, there's uh, uh, Dr. Michael Gorin has written about this relationship between poor sleep and uh, craving for things like sugar. Um, yeah. yeah, I think there is an association. I, um, I haven't studied it, but yeah. Right. Wow. Well, fantastic. So your book is called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, and it's available on Amazon and in lots of different places. Ah, there it is. <laughs> uh, I have read it, and it is fantastic. It, it's, it, it's a very robust story. And I think part of that comes from the fact that this is sort of like your third shot at this topic and as you have continued to learn your the story has gotten more yeah. robust yeah yeah the first book uh which was in 2008 was based on our discovery that fructose really was driving was the principal component of sugar that was causing the problem yeah and uh but then it turned out that we realized that you could get 
fat from all carbs and uh, especially, I mean, high glycemic carbs. So the yeah. second book kind of went more into the switch, but um, this this one uh, really has identified, you know, that the body can make fructose, that salt is a cause of obesity, that these pathways can be associated with aging. So we, you know, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about aging in this uh, particular podcast, but, and, and also there's now data showing that this pathway, when it's activated in the brain, may, may be playing a role in dementia. So uh, it's, it's, the story is just getting stronger. And, um, and so it was really important to write this, this new book because of all the big findings that are, you know, are coming out. So you're saying that the, the switch diet that we were just hearing you describe is not just important for avoiding obesity and, and having good metabolic health. It also can protect our, our brains. Brain yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, <laughs> there's been a study performed in patients with Alzheimer's and uh, fructose levels are quite high in the brains of, of patients with Alzheimer's disease. And in fact, the entire pathway that triggers fructose is activated in the brain. And the risk factors for Alzheimer's are some of the same risk factors for the switch, like high salt diets, high sugar diets. Um, and so, uh, and if you give sugar to animals, they, they have trouble uh, navigating mazes and, you know, so I mean, it's, uh, and, and you, you know, so you can actually go through it and um, when you give fructose, it reduces the blood supply to the uh, area of the brain that controls memory, recent memory. Huh. Uh, you know, so the story's actually very strong that, that this pathway is involved in dementia. And so, uh, you know, as we get older, it's, this is a disease that we really want to avoid. Uh, and uh, it, it, we want to avoid it even when we're young. <laughs> but, but it's particularly relevant to us as we get older. And so I, I really do encourage um, people to, to be aware of the, that these foods that trigger the switch are also the same foods that, that are associated with increased risk for dementia and that there's a causal link that can be demonstrated. Okay. Well, I, I mean, what else could we say? This is important for yeah. this audience and the earlier, so, and for their children, the earlier yeah. you start, the more room you have yeah. to, for mistakes later in life. So don't use up all of your headroom too young. <laughs> exactly. All but right. there's great hope. You know, there's all these ways to rejuvenate your mitochondria. So, uh, I also think it's not too late to, to, you know, to really th turn things around. I really think that there's, uh, you know, that we should be optimistic looking forward, so. Well, good. Well, that's a nice way to end it uh, on an upward note, and thank you. Tell us, again, I know it's on the last episode, but tell us for anybody who missed that one, how they can find you uh, or more information about your work. Yeah, well, I do have a website. It's drrichardjohnson.com. So it's pretty easy. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the book is available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all the different book groups. Uh, I do have an Instagram. It's Dr. Richard J. Johnson. Uh, so there's a J in the middle. So that's the difference. Okay. Yeah, we'll get that um, in the show yeah, notes. Great. So that's anyway, nice. so, uh, uh, and I encourage people to, to email me or write me if they have, uh, you know, questions that, 
that are relevant to them that I might be able to help. And do you work with patients? Oh yeah, uh, I, I'm actively, I have a clinic. Uh, in fact, some people will come to see me from uh, far away. I've had people fly over from England, for example, you know, because of our work on sugar and all those things. Um, Fantastic. But I, I am gonna, beginning to slow down the clinic as I'm trying to give myself more time <laughs> to exercise <laughs> and to do the things that I know that I'm preaching. So fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again. And uh, Glenn, is there anything you would want to add in before we sign off? No, it's really good. I like the way that the, <clears throat> the science is moving right now as far as diet is concerned yeah. and our understanding of the glycemic index stuff and the high carb diet that we live in here in the U.S. and stuff. Yeah. So it's very exciting. Yeah, Excellent. We're moving Keep in the right direction. Low carb diet, Glenn. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's the best way to go. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. Well, gentlemen, you have a great <laughs> evening. Thank you, Dr. Johnson, again for yeah. joining us on the Wise Athletes Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Joe. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Dr. Johnson. You can find more information about Dr. Johnson and his new book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, in the show notes. While you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitnesses practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you're on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.